Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two, Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Brian Woody Swearingen. Most people will know Brian from the Toyota days and I Hate Mud, but we're going to get into rockcrawler.com, everything that he does from the Toyota, well, what was it? Toyota driver's testing or something like that. It was the Toyota program. <laughs> um, we'll get into all that. He'll give us the, the right information. Anyway, Brian, thank you for coming on board and you know talking with us. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So... Let's uh, let's jump right in with both feet and uh, let's talk about your life and where were you born and raised? So I was born um, outside of Rochester, Minnesota, um, back in 60, 67, I guess, which puts me in my mid 50s. Still a child. <laughs> yes, I know. For, well, for some, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, my dad worked for IBM for 30 years. So we lived in Rochester for a few years and then moved out into the country about 10 miles from everywhere. Uh, and then I went to school in Byron, Minnesota, which is basically a bedroom community for IBM and the Mayo Clinic. Okay. And uh, so dad worked IBM. Did mom work at the time? Mom had a teaching degree, but she was basically a stay at home, keep track of myself and my brother. So I've just got one younger brother. So keeping track of us and running us around with sports and everything else kind of added up back in those days, especially when you were 10 miles from everything. So what's the age difference between you and your brother? We're three years different. My brother is three years younger than me. Okay. So he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's more of a computer engineering type of guy and actually retired at his, arguably retired in his thirties after inventing something that was pretty cool. So, Oh, all right. So then um, growing up in the, in, well, I guess at that point when you guys moved out into the wilds, it was pretty dang rural because you said you're out in the middle of nowhere. So what did you guys do for entertainment? Uh, play in the dirt, mostly. <laughs> lots of Tonka trucks, lots of lots of mowing. Dad had 10 acres, about probably three of which was um, grass. Uh, we had a garden that was large enough to feed two families of four in fresh vegetables for a year. So every evening after school was spent weeding the garden and or snow blowing the driveway or mowing the lawn or taking care of helping mom out with the flowers and the gardens and all the other stuff or mowing the trails or whatever. So there was plenty of chores to be done to keep ourselves occupied. Well, cool. The mowing. 
I've got to ask this. Did you at least have <laughs> a, like a tractor or a riding lawnmower or did you have to do it by, you know, like push, push mower? Both. So dad, like we were just joking about this the other day um, with my dad and I was on the phone with him and uh, no, we had a John Deere 318 for a while and uh, he forgot to set the parking brake and it rolled down part of the hillside and plowed itself square into a tree. <laughs> so there was a period of time where we had one summer where we mowed seven days a week, every hour that we could be out there with a um, 1960-something John Sarood, John Sarood push mower trying to keep up with the grass that we could keep up with on the hillsides that we could walk. And my brother, between my brother and I, we mowed nonstop. Wow. So when the dew got out of the grass, we'd start mowing and we'd mow until it was dusk and start over the next day to just try and keep up. And even then we were only mowing half of it because a 20 inch push mower is not doing much, especially, you know, when you're getting tired of pushing. But, so. it, but it did have a motor. Yes, it did have a motor. Yeah. We, this is not one of the real styles. So it wasn't quite that bad. Yeah. We, we never had enough grass growing up. You know, I grew up pretty much in the city suburbs area um, of San yep. Francisco, but there was never enough grass to get anything with a, with a, with a uh, motor. So it was always those real. And oh my God, I hated that thing. I tried to sabotage it so many times. <laughs> <laughs> we never wanted to sabotage the tractor because that was our savior to be able to ride that around. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you said trails, um, were they for like snowmobiling or cross country skiing or something? We did a little bit of cross country skiing, mostly just walking and hiking trails. Uh, the 10 acres that my dad had out in the country uh, extended back. We had farmers on both sides and extended quite a ways up a hillside um, and then took over a little corner of a farmer's field at the top. So, I mean, granted, it's Minnesota. There's not a lot of elevation change, but it was a, you know, a 36 or 42 inch wide trail that we had mowed with the mower just to go out and hike and walk and take the dogs out and do whatever. So Cool. Excellent. My dad's not a motorsports guy. He's great with woodworking, um, but he's not a motorsports guy. My gearhead days didn't start until much later. So right. So in school, um, were you studious? Were you athletic, or did you do your own thing? Well, so the the joke when I was in basketball is I was one of Barney's bench warmers, and that was my <laughs> sophomore year. Yeah, so I was at my sophomore year of high school. I was on the basketball team and arguably collected splinters more than anything. Um, I, I could run and I could do stuff, but I was not a stellar athlete by any means. From the studies side, um, I pretty much never picked up a book until I'd walk into class. I'd do a quick breeze through, and then I'd take the test, and I'd get a B plus or an A minus, and that would be fine. So I didn't have to study very hard. College was a lot different but because it was much harder, but uh, high school was pretty easy for me, at least. Um, right. My big thing in, in high school was music. So my dad has still has a um, eight foot Steinway grand piano, 10 foot Steinway grand piano that he bought when I was a kid. And I learned to play on that and did competitions for music and was a trumpet player and picked up the trumpet in fifth grade. And so the music side was my big thing between concert band and jazz band and then taking that into college as well. Oh, excellent. And uh, where did you go to college at? Uh, Gustavus Adolphus College, which is in St. Peter's, Minnesota, um, southern Minnesota, but close to Mankato. Um, the liberal arts, Lutheran-based, still very liberal arts and very Lutheran-based. Um, but one of the better, at that time, it was one of the top, I don't know, top 10 rated academic small liberal arts colleges in the U.S. 
Okay. And at the same time, it was also one of the top 10 party schools in the U.S. <laughs> so not really quite sure which decision it was that I went there, um, but I definitely earned a bit of both of them. The first couple of semesters was mostly the party side. And then after that, I got a little bit smarter and realized I wasn't going to stay if I couldn't get some grids. So and you said, study. you said you uh, did music at the college level as well? Yeah, so I was I, I was in the concert and there are various jazz bands and ended up with a music minor as well. Oh wow! So my last I've got an accounting degree, but my music minor was a last second instead of geology, which is what I was originally going to get. Um, the classes I needed to finish that off got canceled, so I went and talked to my professors over winter break and I tested into all of the second level music classes and breezed through with a very easy last semester senior year to get a music minor. Excellent. So with going through an accounting degree and music, what was your next step? Um, mostly being jobless. Uh, I really had no plan after college graduation. I worked for a company that was a custodial company. So they were a third party out of Minneapolis that, that was contracted to clean the pool, clean the dorm rooms, clean the toilets, all that kind of thing. And I was an office manager there for a little while. Um, during the summers, I would scrub floors and clean carpets and do the night shift on the university campus. And um, when I graduated, I really didn't have a plan. And my boss at the time um, offered me a summer job and ex extended that. And that ended up being probably a, probably worked for them for six years, five years. Um, part of that at the campus that I was at, then ended up in Wisconsin for uh, up in Ashland, Wisconsin, at Northland College for a few years, and then at University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, and then finally after that with a different company for a year into Appleton, Wisconsin. Wow. Okay. Didn't didn't realize that. Basically, I scrubbed floors and cleaned toilets in a student tie for six years. So. <laughs> I figured you were using your accounting degree. <laughs> uh, no, I just I, even my accounting professors told me that, that I was not a good accountant. That they didn't want me to sit behind a desk and crunch numbers all day. They, they're like your your management skills that you got from the accounting degree are going to be far better off used in management. So I extended that, and the last job I had was with that group was actually as an operations manager for a company. So I I think that a lot of college degrees, and I wish that kids would explore that more, is you know, my degree, I don't use my degree. And I did for a short period of time and then then decided to get out of that industry. But I don't use my degree, but I use what I learned from all the classes that I took, even though what I do is nothing to do with with commercial photography, to say, you know, except for maybe the magazine. But it's right. not, uh, it has nothing to do with it. But it, you know, it's the sense of being able to finish projects, be able to, uh, critical thinking and, and those kind of skills that, uh, and then working with people, I think was a big thing. Well, I think, I think the longer you stay in school, regardless of whether it's a college or a tech or even taking extended classes as you grow older, it basically teaches you how to, how to learn. And the better you are at continuing to learn new things, the better you will be at any position you're in, regardless of whether you stay in your degree or you take off into something random. Yep, exactly. So what was the first car you ever drove? We know you, the first thing you ever drove was a tractor, right? Well, for, yeah, obviously the tractor, yes. So, I mean, between that and my, my grandfather's old tractor in the farms down in Missouri and all the other stuff, um, 
first car that I, I that I learned to drive in was a 1980 Rabbit Volkswagen Rabbit diesel. There you go. So, yeah, um, that was my mom's car, dad's car, whichever at the time. Uh, they had that, and then they had a pair of Buick LeSabres. Uh, one was my dad's, and one was my grandfather's that he he gave to us, or my dad bought from him back in the day. So we had a '76 Buick LeSabre um, with a probably a 350 in it, and then we had a '75 Buick LeSabre that ran on regular gas and had the big 400 in it. And that car, you couldn't keep it on the road because it had so much horsepower and no weight in the back that I ditched that car a couple of times. So I don't, <laughs> I didn't drive it much. <laughs> but the things though, that those years, those things were boats. Oh, that thing was a tank. Yeah. yeah. I had one while the kids were growing up and I could take like half of little Rich's pop Warner football team to games. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I could line them across the back seat, seat, all yeah. the gear in the yeah, trunk. Yeah, bench seat big enough for 10 kids and their gear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, was, it was amazing how big that thing was. And it was a $500 car and lasted for years, you know. It was it was, yeah. you know, it was yep. worth it. Yeah. Yep. They don't build them like that anymore, that's for sure. I had a Volks... I'd forgotten that I had had a Volkswagen Rabbit diesel as well. And it was a great little car until I needed to ta- change the... Uh, the timing belt and getting all of those gears meshed up from the injector pump and everything else, you know, the valve train, you know, the, the whole, the whole drive system. I was off by just a hair and I could never get that thing to run right again. And I could not get it lined up no matter what I did. All it takes is one tooth to be wrong. God, I tell you. And there was like, 15 years you had to line up just perfectly and the belt never would go, you know, it'd be like perfect. And then all of a sudden one would move (laughs) to line up. I could never get it. That was the most frustrating car I ever had. My least fond memories with the Volkswagen diesel was going on to a date in Southern Minnesota when it would be 30 below zero and you get done with going to a movie or going out to a, a dance or whatever. And then the car wouldn't start because it was too cold. So dad would drive out with the Buick or whatever he had at the time with a tow strap and he'd take me and my date home. And then I'd get to sit in the Volkswagen while he would tow strap me to 10 or 15 miles home (laughs) in single digit temperatures below zero with my head out the window. (laughs) Yeah. So you didn't. Not, not always great memories. He didn't, he didn't put you on the strap with the date in the car. And no, he wasn't home. quite that mean. He, he wasn't that mean. He would at least take her home first. It wasn't her fault the car didn't start. Right. So, <laughs> of course, it wasn't mine either, but still. <laughs> so how many times after that did you get a second date? Uh, it, it, rarely, <laughs> but it did happen. It was, yeah, not very often. For the most part, I was done after that. I really didn't have much chance. So that loop was fine. <laughs> so uh, did you play sports in high school? I ran cross country and I did track. And then my Barney's Benchwarmers version of basketball. So those were the three that I participated in. Okay. And did you play basketball more than one season? Um, Well, I played all through fifth grade up until my junior year. And then finally decided my senior year, there was no point in sitting on the bench. It was good exercise and, you know, gave me something to do. Right. So, and at that point, the music side was getting busier as well. So while the spring and fall were busy enough, you know, I had, you know, you'd have um, a marching band as part of the football games. So we'd have all the home marching games to play and then other things that would go on with that. And that didn't interfere with the cross country at all. Um, but in the wintertime, the jazz and everything else picked up. So I stuck to the music side over the winter. That makes sense. Okay. So then 
working as a floor mopper and polisher, <laughs> where did you where did you make the next step? Well, yeah. So I worked at I worked at Northland College in Ashland, Wisconsin, for a few years. So I was I basically was a few blocks off of Lake Superior, um, and then from there went to UW Stevens Point with the same company for another two years, I believe. And then a con- company hired me away in forgetting what year that would have been, probably '95 or so, to move to Appleton, Wisconsin. And then I got in with Nina Foundry Company as customer service with their extensive line of manhole castings and tree grates and sewer castings and all that kind of stuff and basically did that for 11 years. So I have to ask, because this was one of the things that I was always was always told to go do if I was bored, have you ever played tiddlywinks with manhole covers? Uh, I have not, okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's impossible, but I was always told that if you're bored, go out and play tiddlywinks with manhole covers. And at first, I didn't know what to... I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you got to be pretty bored with that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about those those years at uh, the foundry. Well, I started there as customer service, um, and I and I started there in part and got the job in part because I was I was dabbling on the internet at the time, so I knew a little bit about web page design, and they needed somebody to get their web page started. So I spent three years in customer service, and then another two years or three years as the pricing director, probably another two or three years as the marketing director before I finally left in 2000, I guess 2007, I think, or early 2007. During that time, I'm assuming that's when you started to get into off-road? Well, so I bought my first Land Cruiser in 89 when I was up in Ashland, Wisconsin. Okay. Um, I bought a 77 FJ40 for 1800 bucks that ran and drove and that, that, that kind of dabbled at that point. So. And uh, what kind of dabbling? Well, I'd never changed oil. So there was all kinds of things to learn. So, I mean, in my case, I, I, uh, I lost the hydraulic slave cylinder on the, for the clutch. And I didn't know what that was. So I bought a Haynes manual at the local Napa and I bought some metric tools because I didn't own tools. And then I did some research and ended up finding Spectre Off-Road out of California and, and ordered the slave cylinder from them. And then whenever that, of course, this is all on magazines and phone calls because this is obviously pre-internet. Right. Um, and, then just, and then basically had a buddy who kind of knew something about vehicles and he sat in the driver's seat while I laid underneath the truck working on it and he would yell through the holes in the floor to give me directions on what I needed to do. Um, this was actually done on a Friday night in my driveway, um, snow covered driveway um, in single digit temperatures in February. <laughs> so yeah, I, you'd actually, I'd actually take my hands and warm the wrenches on the exhaust before I would start wrenching on things. Cause it was too cold to touch anything. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Not, not something I'd prefer to repeat, but it was a good way to learn, I guess. So so what kind of things did you do besides maintenance stuff? Or once you got all the maintenance items taken care of, what was your first mod? Um, I, at that point, you really couldn't afford mods. Okay. Um, I, I had So I had lost the clutch in the vehicle. This was a had a 305 Chevy in it, which is a bad motor in the first place, but it's what was in there. Um, and it had an um, advanced adapter's bell housing to it, to a stock Toyota 4-speed, but they had used a Morphodite combination of random stuff to build the clutch because they didn't know what to put in. 
So again, you go back to the magazines and I discovered what center force was. So I realized that I needed a center force clutch in there after I had replaced it with a local mechanic. And uh, I go back in after the clutch goes out again six months later and I had realized I needed the center force. He's like, well, order it up, we'll put it in. And I'm like, I can't afford to put it in. I'm making 750 an hour here and I'm broke. This is my second vehicle and I am flat broke on this. So he brought me in as an apprentice basically. Oh, and nice. I would work at his, I work at his auto shop in the afternoons and on the weekends and we would wrench on my vehicle. And then we'd also wrench on his, he had an early Bronco, um, which was on huge tires. He was on 35s. <laughs> so that monster sized tire back in the early nineties, that was a big thing. Um, and then the two of us would go wheeling. We go wheeling on Saturday afternoons. We go wheeling on Sunday. One of us would probably break and then we'd work on it the rest of the week. And he taught me all kinds of stuff in the shop about, you know, it's for free. You know, I, I worked for free and I was basically, you know, kind of being taught as we go on how to do different things. That's, that's not a bad route to go if you have, you know, income to live off of from another job. Yep. That was a great way to go. Taught me a ton of stuff. I wasn't committed to be there every single day. And at a certain point I got better on some projects, especially with wiring than he was. So he would have a project come in and I remember he had a Subaru that was sitting there that was blowing taillight bulbs for some reason. He had tracked it down and he wouldn't let me work on it because he knew I'd fix it within a week and it would annoy him. So he let it sit for a couple of months and never did get it fixed. And finally says, fine, fix it. And about two hours later, I had everything working just fine. So nice, nice. There's a lot of mechanical things I couldn't do, but wiring I was good at. So (laughs) now you said it was your second vehicle. You mean you had two vehicles at that time, correct? So, yeah, when I when I was in college, um, I had a 10 speed versus a car accident and clearly I was not in the car. Um, so I separated the shoulder and had some other things. And then insurance came around and handed me a check for I don't forget even how much it wasn't much, but it was enough to buy a brand new 1988 Mazda 323 hatchback. Okay. So I had a brand new car that was paid for that I could run around in and do stuff in that got 40 miles to the gallon and was fun to drive. And so having the Land Cruiser as a second vehicle um, was not painful when it was down, other than the fact that I couldn't afford to fix it always. Right. And how long did you uh, work as an apprentice in the shop learning learning about mechanics? I was probably in there with him for probably two years, two and a half years. So basically as long as I lived there, because I was in Ashland for three years, and I met him probably six months in. So well, that works. Yeah, Mike was great. He taught me a ton of stuff. Are you still friends with him? No, I'm not. He kind of vanished off the grid um, years later. Uh, we kept in touch off and on for years, and then he just he lots of things were going on in his life, right. so he kind of disappeared. That happens. Yeah, life happens. Yep, it does. So, when you were at the foundry, did you meet anybody special? Well, so my <laughs> interesting story. My first wife was actually she and I had met just before I started working there. And had a lot of mutual friends that were there too. And then when she and I split, um, I met my current wife. Uh, her dad was the plant manager there for 30 plus years. Um, my one of my assistants um, was named Heidi, and she and I had been friends for four or five years at that point. And then I left the foundry in 2007, did a Toyota thing for a couple of years. And when I came back, I was out for martinis with Heidi one night, and Heather walked in. So I already knew her dad, I knew her younger brother, I knew her younger sister, and Heather and I had never met, and we hit it off and had been together ever since. So it was actually after the foundry that Heather and I met. Okay. I knew it was because of the foundry. 
Yep, it was because of the founding. But it is kind of funny that I knew the whole family and just had never met her. I and mean, I saw photos of her first wedding and all, you know, we, we were, you know, had, we just had never run into each other. So going to the first family thing, I already knew half the family. So that that's handy. <laughs> well, fortunately, they liked me. That made it handy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then let's, you, you talked about you were at the foundry and then you left and did the Toyota thing. What was the Toyota thing? So Toyota had a marketing program from 2006 through 2008 to help promote the FJ Cruiser. Um, the first two years, it was the FJ Cruiser trail teams. The third year, they renamed it to the Toyota trail teams. And oddly enough, I'm wearing an FJ Cruiser trail teams t-shirt right now, which I thought was kind of funny. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I've still got some of the stuff. And it was a very successful marketing program to promote the vehicles and to take them off-road and to show consumers and new owners how well they could perform. So I jumped in for year two and year three. So I spent all of 2000 and 2000, I guess 2007 and 2008 as an off-road trainer instructor for a Toyota marketing program. And I put 120,000 miles on an FJ Cruiser in 18 months. Wow, very good. So so we put, we wheeled the lower 48 states, we wheeled Teleco, we wheeled the Rubicon. I mean, you name it, we did it. So a great opportunity and a lot of fun and at that point it was you know making pretty decent money not great but decent money and having no expenses because you know had a little bitty house it was at the end of that was paid for so very good they paid for travel and all that as well right oh yeah we had you know full per diem I mean, you were basically everything was covered so um you know we'd be on the road i remember set year two in 2008 i flew to california on full safe February 1st. The next time I saw my house in Wisconsin was the middle of May. Jeez. Yeah. So you basically disappeared and were on the road. You didn't have pets, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> no one not... liked me anyway. <laughs> By the end of the trip, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, let's talk about how the internet started for you. Uh, well, so back in the day, there was the off-road mailing list. Um, the ORML was in the early 90s, started by Stefan Roth at a Georgia Tech. And I had joined that when I was at UW-Stevens Point. And you would send an email to the list server. And then the list server would spit out either every one of those individual emails as a, as a real-time response to everybody who was registered on the list server. Or it would send out a digest of the last 20 or 50 or whatever it may be. Uh, in these days, that would literally mean millions of emails a day. Um, back in those days, it was, you know, if you might get 30 or 40 comments and discussions in a day, that was a lot. So that was in 1990, we'll say 92 for a rough guess. Um, so a mailing land- list, a mailing list instead of, instead of like a bulletin board. Correct. Yep. Okay. It was pre-forum days. So the forums really didn't exist at that point. There really, there were websites out there, but not, not many. Um, my first online article goes back to, I believe, 1994. Um, I had written something up and I had a little private website, um, private page when I lived in Appleton, um, that I was still learning the websites, you know, right click, view source, learn the code, understand what the TRs and the TDs and the TLs and all the other things were. And, and try and make a web page out of it. Um, so I started that back in those days. Um, so the Land Cruiser mailing list morphed into the, or the, I'm sorry, the off-road mailing list 
Um, then I helped get the land cruiser mailing list started up, uh, which was a total land cruiser association. I wanted to do something similar, and I did. I wasn't involved in it, but kind of gave them some subtle advice. Um, and at that, at that point, I was starting to play with the forums a little bit too. So Pirate 4x4 was in existence at the time, and I joined on there, member 250 something, I don't even know what, but fairly early on on one of their renditions, I think on the current rendition even, because I know they lost members and lost data a couple of times. Right. Um, back when backups were kind of crappy as well. So yeah, it's like this all kind of started back in the back in the early 90s. And let's talk about the progression of the mailing list to I Hate Mud. Um, well, the I Hate Mud plate was in 1992. Okay. Um, so that's still got, in fact, I can, as I'm standing in my shop, I can see the September 1992 I Hate Mud Wisconsin plate on the wall with a little bit of blue spray paint from one of my crafty paint jobs. <laughs> um, so and it just kind of, the mailing list, as, as those began to grow, you began to get more and more people on them and it was hard to keep up. And Pirate was around at that point and expanding and exploding with, with regards to their traffic. And then I was collecting tech links. So between the mailing list and what I would find on Pirate, um, you know, members, people would post up a link to a power steering conversion on their, on their, that they had a little website that they had put up on, you know, GeoCities, for instance, if you want to date yourself pretty quickly. Um, so they have a GeoCities page. You would say, here's how I did a power steering conversion. Here's a GeoCities page on how I added an leaf to my leaf springs on the back of my FJ40 or whatever the project may be. And I collected all of those initially as bookmarks in my browser so I could send a link to somebody if they asked a question. And then later I've created a simple single page that, you know, just kind of collected them all in one place full of links. Okay. And then from there, it just kind of expanded. I started getting emails from people asking, you know, how do I, you know, how do I do this scout power steering conversion on my FJ40? I'm like, well, I didn't write that article. Um, somebody else did. So I can link you to the article, but I can't answer the questions. And I looked at that. I looked at what Pirate was doing. I'm like, you know, a forum that people can actually answer questions on some of the articles that I'm linking and communicate with each other might not be a bad idea. So I started up one version of the forum probably in 99 or 2000 and a couple other variations thereafter. And um, officially the, the current version and the current data goes back to 2002. So I've now got members that are celebrating 20 year anniversaries on the I hate mud forum right now. Wow. That's awesome. So then you you run, you run that I hate mud and what yep. other, what other websites do you have? Um, the others that are sizable at all, rockcrawler.com and utvweekly.com. Uh, UTV Weekly, I haven't done much with it because I haven't been in the UTV market myself for the last four or five years. Uh, and then Rockcrawler, we were doing some articles and some stuff on there. Um, but as social media has kind of taken over, even that really hasn't done much. It's got a small forum on there with some build threads and some guys picking up traffic. Um, I Hate Mud is still 99 plus percent of what I need to keep up with every day. Excellent. That's, that's phenomenal that it's, uh, that it has staying power like that. Well, it's got staying power. It still registers 30 to 50 new users a day. Um, the majority of those are real users and not spammers and scammers. Um, there's build threads on there. There's it's, it's expanded to the FJ cruiser. It originally was all land cruisers cause that's what I had. Right. Um, and then back in, I remember what year it was, uh, probably 90, 
probably 93. Um, Spectra Off-Road had their own forum as well. And I got a call from, um, it wasn't Kay or Marv, it was one of their staff that called me up. Maybe it was Kay. Anyway, I got a call from somebody one day randomly, and they said, we're going to close our forum down and send all of our forum traffic to I Hate Mud, and it's going to happen sometime in the next six months. We're still trying to work all the details out, but we'll let you know when it comes up. And I said, okay, you know, that sounds great. And I went and looked at their forum, and they were arguably – they had a lot of content on there, but managing it from a business side gets a little challenging because if somebody doesn't like your product, now you're defending your own product on your own website. And that from a forum side, that can get messy, right? which is why they were getting out of it. And I think they saw the writing on the wall with how much work can go into keeping one of those functioning and, and happy. So um, they basically called a week later and said, so we're, and this was on a Thursday, if I recall. And they said, yeah, so we're going to shut it down tomorrow morning. Uh, we hope you're ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of those shocking moments that helped kind of helped get things fired off as the, as the forum was, as, as it was growing and expanding uh, to see all these members come in. There were a lot of 80 series owners and a lot of 60 series owners that were part of the Spectre off-road page. Um, and they all just, they had nowhere else to go. So they all started showing up. That's, that's pretty damn cool that they, that they chose what you were doing, you know, to, to have that, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, and that that was one of there's a, a lot of things that helped get the site fired off back in the early days, but that was definitely one of them. So then, right now, you and Heather, Wisconsin, Foundry, then Toyota Trail Teams, then you met her because of the Foundry, and then how did that how did that all evolve into what you're doing as well? I mean, did you guys did you guys date right away and just stay solid or was it off and on and then got together again? How did that work out? Actually, she and I met and just instantly hit it off. Um, we had, you know, between the people that we knew that were in common, um, she's not going to be an off-roader per se. She doesn't, she enjoys the events and she enjoys a lot of the places that we get to go and seeing all the people, but she's not into the, she's not a big off-road fan. So um, but the doing things and the travel she really loves. At that time, she worked for VF Corp, um, specifically for the North Face line, you know, doing customer service. Okay. So she stayed there for three or four more years um, until her daughter graduated, was close to graduating high school. Um, and then once her daughter graduated, you know, the ongoing joke was your graduation party is going to double as an open house, and it almost did. So <laughs> we sold the house there and then moved west, and now we're in Tokerville, Utah, outside of St. George. Yes, the... Uh... The home, uh, you can call it the, basically the growing home of, of off-road businesses. <laughs> yeah, we're one, of, we're one of the early transplants to the area. So I, I think we're one of the first four or five that ended up out here out of the hundreds, I think, that have ended up here now. So Exactly. So let's talk about Toyotas and your collections and the things that you've had. Um, what's your favorite vehicle that you've, you've owned? My favorite is probably my 1986 BJ74. It's right-hand drive, uh, four-cylinder turbo diesel out of Japan. Um, it's a, it's, it's the one that of, of all of them. It's not the most capable. It's not, but it's the most unique of the ones that I have right now that are running and driving. So, and that's the um, red one. Yep, the little red one. Yeah. Yep, that's a cool little vehicle. It is. It's one of those that everybody looks at it. Every everybody has questions about it. You know, there's there's always People's looking at you weird as you're driving down the road because you're, you know, on the wrong side, or as I joke, no, I'm actually on the right side. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Of course, you're on the right side. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Got to have a dad joke in there somewhere. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so you're. Uh, let's talk some more about the vehicles. Um, I know that you have. Is it the eighty? Was the dark green? I think it's dark green, or was it blue? <clears throat> nope, dark green. Yep. Yeah, that one's name is that one's name is Gretchen. So I bought that truck. Um, we actually, my first wife and I were headed to Texas um, from Wisconsin uh, for an event called the Roundup that I'll be down again for in this March um, oh, down good. at Katempsi. At that point, it was K1. Now it's K2. So uh, we were down back when K1 was open. Uh, and we were on our way down with a 28-foot Class C Ford POS motorhome towing my FJ40. And we put a hole in the side of the block in St. Louis on a Saturday morning. Nice. So get a tow truck, tow us there, um, meet a guy um, who worked at the um, mid, you know, mid-duty truck dealer that we were dropped off at, who was part of Midwest Jeep thing. And he knew me from the Mailing West Forum stuff. And he helped us get a U-Haul set up and helped us hotwire the U-Haul to hook my trailer up, packed all of our gear into white trash bags and became officially white trash because you <laughs> don't carry luggage in a motorhome, which is weird. So... <laughs> <laughs> pack everything we had into white trash bags and white styrofoam coolers, finished off our trip down to the Dallas area to stay with friends for a couple of days. And then I bought that 80 series from a friend down there um, and then used that to tow home. So I bought it at that point. It had a hundred thousand miles on it. Now it has 300 and something on it. I'm not even sure over 300. Original motor. Uh, so I did swap it out. I use it as a tow rig. So after I blew the motor home up, I didn't have another tow rig. So I used it as a tow rig for a few years. The current motor that's in there probably has 270,000 on it. <laughs> so I swapped it out a number of years ago um, just because I, I got one for a, a great price. I still have one. I don't have the old motor anymore. I finally sold that to a guy in, in Vegas recently. So, but yeah, so it's only got 270,000 miles on the motor. So good. That's, I mean, that's still, that's the great thing about Toyotas. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. For a Toyota, it's just getting broke in. So <laughs> And, and your love is basically Toyotas. Well, yes, it's, it's kind of what I got into. And I looked at scouts and Jeeps and Samurais and a few other vehicles in early Broncos when I was first shopping back in the day to find a, to find something to buy when I was in just out of college. Um, Cause I had gotten my little Mazda stuck in the national forest a few times and realized that getting a Mazda stuck in the middle of nowhere is not a great idea because not many people come along when you're on the Schwamigan National Forest in the middle of I mean, it, 50 miles to anything up there in some places. <laughs> so bought the Land Cruiser and, and bought that in part because my dad had a Toyota Camry um, that was super reliable. And I mean, I didn't know that the small block Chevy was going to completely and the other things that the previous owners had screwed up were going to make it unreliable. They messed up a lot of things in there. Right. <laughs> um, but dad had a Camry that he put 100 and even with me driving it when I was in high school, he put 180,000 miles on it. So any car that could survive me for a couple of years of high school, that was a pretty good car. So, All right. so then let's, uh, let's talk about your move out to the St. George area. Um, you're in, uh, Tokerville, correct? Correct. And, uh, talk about what you're, what you're doing out there and the, the life that you leave, live, um, in and about the off-road world. So we moved out here because it was in the center of everything. Uh, Denver's nine hours, Rubicon Trail's nine hours, Ensenada's nine hours. Um, 
Moab's four and a half, Johnson Valley is six. You know, we're close to a lot of stuff. I had never actually wheeled out at Sand Hollow at the time, um, but got out here and and met a lot of people and got into the scene. Um, you know, try to get out wheeling a couple days a week, helping with different clubs and groups and just kind of volunteering and doing that kind of thing. The website does keep every day busy. There's things that need to be done daily. It kind of looks like it would be pretty simple. Um, but online babysitting is a lot of work sometimes. Sorry, it's not, it's not always that simple. So yeah, I spend my days in the mornings working on the website stuff. Uh, and then break away late morning and jump out to the shop and either wrench on my new buggy or work on one of my other vehicles or you know, play on other projects that I come up with out here. Uh, do some mountain biking if I get a chance at the gym when I get a chance, but uh, primarily try to get out and wheel as much as possible. And the you 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 now got a buggy. Is that uh, you did it? Did you do an F toy at one time? Yep, had an F toy for a few years. Yep. Okay. And do you still have that, or is that moved on? No, I sold that to uh, to a guy in Virginia who bought it, and now comps actually, and we rock with it. So okay. he bought it. Um, the friend it was he was coming out, uh, I guess, a year plus ago, year and a half ago for Trail Hero, and I get this call from another friend, Cam. He's like, "So Richard's coming out, and he wants to." And then Richard calls me up and says, "Hey, do you mind if I borrow your F toy for the week? You know, I'm coming out to wheel. I know you're going to be too busy to use it." He says, "I also know you're thinking about selling it." So do you mind if I borrow it for the week? I'm like, sure. So he came out and wheeled it on Monday and Tuesday. And I think it was Tuesday night. He came up and he's like, he's like, hi, she's like, she's like, so my wife has never wanted to go wheeling with me. And I've known this guy for 20 years. He's got an 80 series. It's all tubed out and buggied up and all this stuff. And um, so he comes up, he says, my wife has never wanted to go wheeling. She wants to go wheeling tomorrow. She really likes how the buggy sits, how it rides how the, and she's like, she, she wants to go. And he's like, so don't be surprised if I leave a check on your counter when the week is done, the buggy goes to Virginia. So <laughs> sure enough, I came back after, cause I'm, once I'm out at trail here, we take the motor home out and spend the week out there and don't come back to the house. And they were staying at the house. And sure enough, I came home on Saturday or Sunday, whatever day we got back. And there's a check sitting on the counter along with a bottle of whiskey and a thank you note. So oh, excellent. off it went. <laughs> nice test drive. He had a whole week test drive. Yep. So let's talk about the other things that you're doing out there. I know that you've guided, um, besides guiding trails, I know you've guided trails in Moab. You've uh, guided trails there in Sand Hollow. Um, what other things are you are you working on? Uh, I don't have any new projects per se right now. Okay. Um, there's always, we just, well, I guess I do. I just picked up a sprinter van. I'm not sure if that was a good idea or not, but so that's kind of a new little build project to set that up as a, as a, as a regional run tow rig to be able to head out and, and do small stuff. Um, uh, a lot of what I do is just tinkering. You know, I've got a couple of guys that I talk with on their buggy builds and give them advice, good or bad, mostly bad because I'm still new at this. So most of the things I do are experiments that I, I do them four times and then change my mind again later. Um, <laughs> But, you know, even bad advice is still advice you can use. So True. I've got guys I talk with fairly regularly and go to breakfast with and just kind of throw ideas off each other. And hopefully something sticks or it helps them come up with a better one than what I came up with. Excellent. So then what's uh, what are the plans for you in the future um, in, you know, as far as living down there and off road and that kind of thing? Are you, you know, do you have any long term goals? 
we're looking for property and a smaller house. Um, we've agreed that the place that we're at, while we love it, as far as the location goes, and we've got it set up to where we're comfortable with it, it's more house than we need. It was what was available when we got here. So it's kind of one of those things that you just stick with what you've got because it's what you have. Um, but actually, Heather just found some property today that she wants to peek at, and she's been keeping her eyes open trying to find something. Um, we don't have any, you know, the area we love. We love the weather. We love the people. We love the wheeling opportunities. We love the other outdoor hiking and mountain biking and, you know, all the things that you can do in this area that is just nonstop. We love being below the snow line. So just kind of keeping the eyes open. This area is great. Um, there's a lot of property that's around here. Of course, everything in this area, because of the explosion with the economy, has really gotten expensive. So our house is appreciated quite a bit. But as I always say, if I sell my house, I'm going to buy something that's going to be equally expensive. So why would I sell my house? Right. So at this point, we're stalling. We'll see what happens in the future. But I'm holding out as long as I can. She'd sell tomorrow if I'd let her. <laughs> but you get to downsize. Right. Well, that's always the goal. You know, we just, for two people, it's us, it's, you know, two adults and two dogs. We just don't need all the bedrooms and all the space that we have. So at some point, we'll find the right spot and make the move. But I suspect it'll be a few more years. And either way, I want to be in this area. Well, I know that Casa I Hate Mud gets a lot of traffic. Yep, we do. We get a lot of visitors. So when you've got, uh, let's see, what do we have? Five guest beds in four bedrooms. <laughs> so plus you add in the motorhome. And now with the Sprinter van, I've even got another another bed in there. So there's plenty of opportunities for folks to come in and spend the day, spend the week. And the shop gets lots of traffic with people coming through that are broke and you know, my, as, as guys have come through with broken transfer cases and everything else, they're like, well, what do you want for it? I'm like, well, I don't want anything. What I want is the parts back. So if you steal one of my Dana 300s off the shelf, then just send me another one. And so far, that's worked out really well. So we have people that, you know, I don't even have to be here. We had some friends who came through, I guess, Sunday night, and we were in Salt Lake. And uh, they came through Sunday night and were in the shop and used a bunch of things and Everything got all cleaned up when they were done, and it's like they weren't even here. So that's kind of the ideal situation for me is I can have a place that people can come work on their vehicles and do whatever. Of course, the joke is if you leave your vehicle, I've got a lift in here. So the joke is if you leave your vehicle in the lift and I come home, you should, you should leave the title too. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So far, that's only been abused once, and that was actually by my neighbor. So oh, I thought it was going to be my son. <laughs> <laughs> and now he, he made a reservation, so that wasn't the same. Okay. You know, it's, it's different when you tell me it's going to be there for six months. <laughs> when it shows up and you're going to be out that day and all of a sudden it's four days later and I need it. No, that's not how that works. It needs I to go. It. Okay. <laughs> so it, when you, uh, when you down, if you downsize the house, are you looking for property that's where you can maintain a shop? Oh, yeah. Yep, definitely. I'll end up with a bigger shop. The 40 by 40 I have now is nice. Uh, I'd like something that I can fit the motorhome, well, get the motorhome down to. You can't get it down here anyway. Right. Um, but be able to fit the motorhome inside and be able to fit more vehicles inside. Um, I have, I was talking with someone the other day, and I think we have eight licensed running driving vehicles right now. Um, and most of them can fit inside, but not all of them. So I either need to downsize or I need to come up with more shop space. And shop space is that absolutely more ideal. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to sell anything if I don't have to. So have any of your neighbors ever complained about all the vehicles? I know like, you know, some neighborhoods, it's, uh, or cities, you know, you can only have so many dogs. 
right? So nobody ever has, because uh, arguably everything is below grade. So the shop is 12 feet below street level, um, which means as you're driving by, you might see the rooftop of a vehicle. Um, but as long as you don't see the whole vehicle, it's not parked in the street, it's not an eyesore. So I'm pretty careful to keep things tucked in out of the way and out of sight. I don't want to, I, I want to be that guy, but I don't want to be that guy that gets yelled at. Right. So it's a, it's a fine line in the neighborhood. And when people come by and they need a welder, they need air or whatever, I've got all those things and they're happy to, you know, welcome to use them anytime. And that does help too. So you keep the neighbors happy. That's always the goal. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to dwell more into like the Toyota Land Cruiser Association and, and, the things that you've done on that side of things with, uh, with Toyotas. I don't know if you were ever like, you know, one of the board members or anything like that, but I know that you, you do the, the Rubicon stuff with, with the Toyotas and all that kind of stuff. So what kind of runs have you done and where have you done them with, uh, with like TLCA or, or other organizations? Well, I've had events, I don't know that I have hit every TLCA-supported event, but I've had a good chunk of them. Um, you know, we've been out to stuff out in Tennessee at Teleco, up at stuff up in Paragon, um, things that have been in the Midwest, you know, down south, down in Texas, Hot Springs, uh, the Rubicon Trail. Um, you know, I, I've been a member of TLCA since, I want to say, about 1990 is my guess. Wow. Um, one of the very... So they've got a membership numbers and I don't know what their numbers are up to now, but I'm in the 1500s. So I've been with them for quite a while and I've never been an officer or really officially involved with them. I mostly stick in as a, as kind of a client guidance thing. And I find that's a little bit easier where things are going on and, you know, issues are happening or whatever else. And I'll get that random phone call from a friend who's on the board or who's part of the process and, and just kind of bounce some ideas off and give them my two cents. It seems to be, it's easier to stay slightly removed that way. Definitely. So what's your favorite place to wheel besides Sand Hollow? <laughs> well, we go to your Bay, Colorado every summer. Okay. Heather and I got married out there. Right. So we got married at Clear, married at Clear Lake outside of Silverton uh, seven years ago. And I had gone out there initially uh, as a guide for uh, the event, the FJ Summit that happens every year in July. And then started dragging Heather out with me. Um, this was back when I was with trail teams before she and I had met. And so then I drug her out there for a few years and she fell in love with it too. And then when we got engaged, she picked that as where we we're going to get married. So we go out there for two or three weeks every July uh, and just enjoy the snow and the weather. Cause in July, there's still snow on the ground out there. Um, right. I just enjoy the scenery and uh, the little breweries and the restaurants and driving around and exploring and let the dogs run and, you know, it's, it's nothing fancy, but that's, and it's not hard wheeling, but it's so scenic and so beautiful. Um, it's just hard to pass. And anymore, half the time when I'm doing you know, the wheeling side, I enjoy, you know, I enjoy San Hollow because of the challenge. I was just down in Johnson Valley for a couple of days with KOH um, and brought the buggy down and wheeled a bit down there. Um, but you look more towards the people and the events and the personalities and everything else that show up. And that's frankly more fun than the wheeling side anymore. Uh, we've got an event that we've missed a couple of years out in Hot Springs, and we just love the people that are there and love the event. And it ties in with Trail Hero, so we end up with Trail Hero every year. Um, but someday the dates will be different, and we'll get a chance to make that one again. 
um, the event we do down in Katemsi for Roundup. Ton of great people, great bands, great food, and a lot of good friends that are end up at those events. And Trail Heroes is the same thing. There's a lot of friends that come in from around the country to make that event. Rubicon's that way. Um, there's just so many that you go for the people, and the wheeling's just a byproduct. Right. Yeah, that's how that's how Easter Jeep Safari is for us. Yep. Yep. You go for an Easter Jeep. We haven't been in a. I haven't been much in a couple of years. Um, right. Things have just kind of been too busy with us to be able to make that every year. Yeah, we're gonna be. I'll be there this year. Um, we have a. Our youngest daughter is uh, supposed to um, have a baby at about that time. So. Oh. Okay. So you know she's up in in Minnesota. So Shelly's going that direction. I'm going to Moab, but uh, you know we're gonna we'll do the normal thing and hang out at grandpa's garage and do some scenic wheeling mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And maybe jump in somebody's buggy and do some wheeling. But you know, that's, that's the one chance I get to do that every year. The, like you said, the last couple of years, we haven't done it because one year it was shut down and the next year it just didn't work out where we were at to make the trip there and have to come straight back. Right. So it didn't make sense. It's hard for me to have many excuses because it's only four hours, you know, four and a half hours away. <laughs> right. You gotta be, you have to have something else, you know, busy wise. So yes, the, uh, they're at Roundup this year at K2. We should be there that weekend as well. Um, I believe we're, uh, we're getting in there on that weekend. We have, uh, our opening rock crawl the next weekend. Yep. Yep. You've got the opening. We rock that following weekend. We had looked at trying to stay for that and ended up with concert tickets that weekend and weren't able to stay. So oh, can only do okay. so can only do so many things is the problem. I, I keep teasing myself about getting into the competition side with a new buggy and trying to see what I can learn from that. Um, but schedules conflict and we've got so many little things that we both want to do. And, and part of that's trying to you know do things that Heather likes. It can't be all wheeling or she'll get a little upset. So, right. So what's the concert? Uh, Aaron Lewis. Okay. I have no idea who that is. So he was the lead singer for Stained. Okay. And he is arguably, um, he, he's a, he, you'll have to listen to his music. He is extremely good. We have seen a couple of his concerts. Very, very, um, very flag orientated, very pro USA. He, he's a good guy. And his music is excellent. And I guarantee you heard a bunch of his songs. More than likely. But he's playing in Laughlin, Nevada. So we saw him in Vegas a couple of years ago. And then, of course, everybody's tours kind of fell apart for a year. Um, and so, but he's playing down in Laughlin. So we've got tickets with our friends, Jason and Ann, to go down and see him. Excellent. Let's talk about, let's talk about Trail Hero um, and what you, what you do out there. And besides Trail Hero, I know that you've helped um, lead, you helped with like the Ultimate Adventure leading that area, didn't you? Yep. Yep. We got involved with Ultimate Adventure, got a chance to help scout and help them plan for that. Their one day that they were out at San Hollow to play out there. Uh, the trail hero, I, I fit into the non-assigned group of what needs to go on. My wife takes care of registration. Um, you know, Crystal and Aaron have their kind of duties. Crystal does all the guides. Aaron kind of helps set up all the events and coordinates a lot of those things. And I help with the recovery side and keep things on track there. But a lot of what I do is just stand back and see things that need to be done that nobody else is doing and then take care of them. The joke was two or three years ago, um, they had all the vendors sitting out at Sand Hollow. They had moved all of them back out to the parking lot at Sand Hollow. And the vendors are all lined up and the food trucks are coming in 
And I start looking around and I realize that the garbage cans are sitting in front of the stage for the band or they're sitting next to the food trucks and nobody throws their trash away at the front of the stage and nobody throws their trash away next to the food truck. Correct. So I started gathering up trash cans and relocating them into central locations. So as you would leave the stage and then start to scatter out of the three or four aisles that you might walk out of that the trash cans were located there. And it's dumb things like that that I see that nobody else has caught or nobody else has thought of that that's the, and that's just kind of the, it's an example of the kind of things that I do at trail hero. And then, you know, every day starts whenever I feel like it's going to start. And then I finish whenever I feel like I'm going to finish, but I seem to be busy all day doing random things that just haven't been done yet. That somebody's missed or somebody hadn't thought of or whatever. So, and the duties as a signed guy at trail hero, I can tell you from personal experience that, that having that, help like that on an event is priceless. You know, the, the We Rock events, it's just Shelly and I, for the most part, you know, 99% of the, the cleanup and the setup. So everything that I've, you know, but over 20 years, I got all those little things pretty much worked out, but most events, you know, you're, you're so busy on, on dealing with other things that the small stuff sometimes can turn into really large stuff and a problem if it's not taken care of. Yep. Yep. Yeah. If you're, if you're quick, you catch it right away. And we don't obviously catch everything. Trail heroes, a, a constantly growing and expanding process and every year seems to get bigger and better. Um, so there's always new things to catch and new things to figure out. If that's part of what makes it fun. Right. Is that you don't know, you don't know what you're into until it really gets going. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, we hadn't thought of that. And we forgot about this and let's go scramble and take care of this. So when you only do it once a year, there's things that, uh, and it grows the way it has grown, you know, you're, you're constantly finding new things. That's so well, true. Yep. Well, and, and it's also nice because we've got other events that come through the area and, and run out at Sand Hollow as well. So you can attend those, you know, I attend as a guide for the winter jamboree and guided a couple of days. And you see things on how that event is done that you can apply to yours or not apply to yours, depending on what you like and dislike. True. And look at how things are. And, and you, you, you kind of compare notes without actually talking to anybody. You just look at stuff like, oh, that's not how I would have done that. Or, oh, that's a great idea. Why would we think of that? So, Yeah, that's, that's, that's good is to learn from other events. That I did that for a few years before we started Cal Rocks, which then morphed into We Rock. One of the reasons I decided to do it is because I attended those other events, worked the other events as a volunteer, and then went, man, I think I can be better organized than that. You know? Yeah. And in my own mind, I've been. I don't know if I really have been or not, but, <laughs> you know. So, it sounds good anyway. Yeah. So look at our schedule and see about uh, bringing your buggy out to Cedar City. I know that we're, we'll be out there. Um Cedar City is definitely on the list. So perfect. Hoping I can get that figured out and get up there. And and, and it's funny. I look at the comp stuff, and it you know, obviously you're pushing people into lines they wouldn't normally take. True. Is kind of what the competition's all about. So that's the part that you know. The obviously the trails that we have around here are plenty challenging. You can find plenty of trouble, but forcing yourself to drop into a crack at a certain angle and and figure out where the rear needs to be and, and to not kill yourself or roll over or whatever the process is. Um, I mean, I'm interested to see how that's different than the normal stupidity that we do. So, yeah. I mean, one of the things that everybody, I always say when I watch people do, you know, the, these extreme lines and these different, uh, 
you know, like at Sand Hollow or the Hammers or anything like that is like, okay, that'd be really cool if they would, you know, I'd put cones over here, you know, and then let's <laughs> see you, you know, because every, everybody figures out like, okay, this is a good line. And then everybody takes that same line. And I've noticed that some of the guys like Dave Wong now are, are starting to move off of the normal line and picking, you know, other lines. So they're, they're looking for where I'd put the cones is what I like to say. <laughs> So I ran the, I ran the F toy for a few years and would was was one of the few guys that actually had a chance to go wheel with some of the rear steer guys. Um, when you're running an F toy that's linked in the rear and has leaf springs in the front and has no horsepower, um, you learn to take very different lines every time because nothing that the guys ahead of you on a link front suspension and 42s versus my only 40s and running Toyota axles and all that, I had to pick some unique and creative lines anyway. So I'm pretty used to being the guy that I remember Nate Christensen when we first started wheeling um, together, we were running sand tracks and we're running a section through there where it's a deep crack and you've got to take a hard left up this steep climb. And I start coming into the deep crack and I had looked at him and he's kind of spotting me and I get partway through and I stop. I'm like, so nothing you're telling me works with this car. That's not, that's not what I can do. So why don't I just figure it out? And then we'll see what happens. And you can correct me if anything goes bad. And I drove through the whole thing. And he's like, all right, I don't need to spot you. That's good. He says, and you're allowed to come along because you actually made it through without any problems. So <laughs> That's one of the things I'm, I'm doing here um, shortly, the middle of March, is going on a couple of day trail ride event, kind of like an ultimate adventure. But we're going from um, Chakalaka, Alabama, up through... Alabama, Tennessee, and then into Harlan, Kentucky. And oh, nice. I'll be taking the the Cherokee, the Beater XJ, and hanging with these guys that, you know, are obviously going to be bigger tired. Um, but I think I'll be able to hang. We'll just, we're going to see. I We're working on the vehicle <laughs> right now, prepping it to make sure that there's no obvious problems before we get started. But uh, it'll right. be the first time I've done something like this. So it'll be, <clears throat> it'll be interesting. It was a few years back, I was out on the Rubicon Trail, and uh, Joel Moranton was riding with me, or part of the day with me, and we jumped into Old Sluice, and we jumped in right after Volkswagen Rock, and I'm following uh, Mudrack on his 40 or 42-inch tired FJ45, and whoever was behind him was on 40s with portal axles and an FJ40, and here I am in my 80 series on 35s on a full-body truck. <laughs> uh, and we ran all of Joel and I ran all of old Sluice. He got out a couple of times to give me some advice here and there and only added one dent, but that was an intimidating spot when you jump in like, Oh, so everybody ahead of me is way bigger and everybody behind me is way bigger. And right? here I am the little guy in the heaviest truck. <laughs> right. I can remember the first time I ran old, old Sluice, I was in a 53 CJ five, but the military version M 38, a one on thirty uh-huh. ones open, open and manual steering. <laughs> and I come out at the bottom and there's a bunch of bug, you know, guys that, you know, much bigger built. I mean, the, w- some were, I'd call more truggies than buggies. So that's was st- so early in the two thousands. And they were like, yep. you just came down that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, was <laughs> I not supposed to? Cause they were just looking at me like, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> but you know, getting yourself into trouble is one of the things that I'm really good at. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, me too. Some days, yeah. I remember I first took the before I had the F toy when I was first exploring Sand Hollow. We were running um, Chain Reaction, 
And I'm on the upper section following a guy on a buggy and he comes back and he's like, I don't know what you're doing here. He's like, you are not in the right vehicle for this. I'm like, yeah, I'm aware of that and I need to go shopping. And it was shortly after that that I bought the F-Toy. Nice. <laughs> so let's talk about the buggy that you have now. What is it? Um, so it's the, it's the Jesse Haynes new trail series chassis. Okay. Um, he is, he's done three different renditions of the chassis. The first one, um, a friend of ours, Logan has here in town. And there were some issues some, I'm not going to call them mistakes, but things that he changed immediately after number one, um, chassis is number two, which is version two, Rich and I both have, and our mine's all finished out and Rich is in process with his. Um, and then there's another version um, that with the next 10 chassis, and then they returned back to this version for the next series. And I think everything going forward is going to be this version. It's just minor changes in the node. So um, this is my first ever chassis that I built. So Jesse delivered the chassis all welded out and, and then had to add the tabs for the link suspension. And then I had him originally, I was going to do a Dana 60 Dana 70 combo and do front and rear steering with that. And then my friend, Sam, who actually is coming in this week from Texas uh, to visit, um, he called me up. We were on our way to Mexico and he calls me up and we're busy chatting by the wherever. And he's like, why are you doing a 60 to 70? Like, well, it's because I it's what I have. And he's like, so how long do you plan to keep this buggy? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, then do the portals. He's like, just spend the money, do the portals, build it once and be done with it. So I literally messaged Jesse five minutes later and here we have portals. So it's been an experience. I've never done anything of this level or anything of this, of, of any, anything like this before. So every, every tab and bolt and everything else has been changed 20 times. I've actually got a couple things lined up to change today that I'm not happy with. So <laughs> it's been a learning curve, a long learning curve. So it works very, very well, but there's little things that I just want to make adjustments on. So what axles are you using? So they're Toyota based, um, JHF, you know, they're the trail gear housings with eight inch Toyota differentials, front and rear granite inners, RCV outers, um, PSC steering. Um, it's kind of, the, it's kind of the standard stuff. And what motor are you running in it? So I'm running a, um, 1998 Bonneville V6 supercharged L67 motor that was originally transverse. So 60 degree bell housing on that, um, with a rear intake. So the actual, the intake throttle body is facing facing the passenger compartment. So the air for air cleaners on the floor of the passenger seat. Uh, and then that mates up to a 700 R4 transmission that I originally built about 15 years ago that was in my FJ40. Um, and then that mates up to a midnight Dana 300 case with stock gears. Um, and you've got the, you know, the 198 to one in the portal box and then 48s in the diffs. So I'm about 75 to one or so for a call ratio. Nice. Excellent. And, and it is complete and you've been wheeling it, correct? Yes. I've had it out for probably 45, 50 some days since I finished it right before trail hero. Oh, okay. Uh, and had it out a little bit at trail hero and I'm still learning it. It's, it's the, the F toy I could out drive. I, I was a better driver than what the F toy could get itself into. Um, and so far I'm this, this rig is still a lot. I'm still learning what it can do and I'm still figuring out where my limits are because the rig arguably has none. And I just haven't figured out how to drive it yet. So it's been fun to push myself and to learn new lines and to, and to figure out the rear steer because that changes, obviously that changes everything, but even having a link front suspension, 
is change things and having the rear winch where I can cinch down and the front winch to cinch down and, and the horsepower that I didn't have with a 22 RE. So. Right. And you just have a lot more tools. Yes. Yep. So it's basically. A lot more buttons, a lot more tools and yeah. So basically it's a, it's a trail two seater, but with, um, you know, but built like a comp buggy. Yeah. So, you know, it's still, so it's still 85 inches outside of tire. So it's, it's a little bit too wide for an unlimited type, you know, right. class as far as wheeling goes. And it's 112 wheelbase. Um, so it's perfect for the trail. Uh, it's very capable when it comes to the trail lines, but when it comes to really tight dodging and really tight maneuvering, it's a little long and a little bit wide, but it does still work very well. Um, if I was in comps more, I would have done an ARB in the front. I went with a spool in the front just for simplicity's sake and kept the ARB in the rear. Um, but, uh, you know, running an ARB front and rear is better in comps and you get some other tools that you would need too. So, right. Well, cool. So, um, What's besides the buggy? Are you working on any any streetable rigs, or what are your uh, what are your plans that way? Well, so I've got a I just bought the Sprinter van, and it needs suspension and some other changes to it just to kind of get ready. It's I used it to tow out the King of the Hammers, and for a weekend, four or five day trip with just me, it's perfect. With some short trips with Heather, it'll be perfect as well. Places where you don't want to take the motor home and try to get to. So um, I, I have I've to ask. Another, I have to ask. Are you going to use the hashtag van life? No. <laughs> okay. I'm not using that hashtag. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not there yet. Okay. <laughs> I am using. I am using the hashtag. I think Sprinter things is what I use, or van things, because I use the buggy things hashtag all the time with the buggy. Right. So. I had to use something else and a hashtag something things. And I don't know if I've figured out which one I'm going to use yet, but anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> is this, is the, the sprinter, project, I need to, is the sprinter two or four wheel drive? It's four wheel drive. Excellent. So I've already put a little bit bigger tire on it. I've got a, um, add a leaf and then new shocks coming for it. That should deliver you know, anytime between now and another few weeks, depending on, depending on availability. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it, I'm trying to modify it enough to make it so I can still drive it. I drove it to Salt Lake this past weekend and got 15 miles to the gallon. So trying to make it so it's fairly mild. Nice. But I, I don't need another four-wheel drive that's super capable. I have too many of those already. Yeah, just to get yourself out of trouble if you need to. Right. Yep. Well, you know, the worst case is if I get myself in big enough trouble, I'll have the buggy on the trailer behind me and I'll pull it off and unstick go. myself. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I have. I did that with a motorhome once. I sunk that Class C at a campground up in on the Caswell Mountain up beside outside of Lakewood, and uh, literally pulled my FJ40 off the trailer, pulled it around the front, put a tow strap on, put the Land Cruiser into a granny gear on the SM465, and then hopped in the motorhome and I pulled myself out. <laughs> I have. I've used uh, the Cherokee a number of times to get the semi truck out. <laughs> yep. The, That's a bit of a weight disadvantage there. Yeah, but it, it it doesn't need much. Once it gets moving, it's good. It it has a tendency to get just you know spin right where you're at when if it's ah, wet, gotcha. Yep. You know. Uh, yeah, the wet the wet grass issue with the semi. Yeah. Yeah. So, God, anything else um, that you guys you know you got any big trips planned or anything that's really cool? Uh, nothing planned yet. Um, and we've always got ideas on things that we want to do. We just haven't taken the time to sit down and figure them out. Heather wants to take the van up and you know explore around Yellowstone and, and hit some of the national parks and 
have something now that we can poke around a bit. So, um, yeah, we don't don't have anything too exciting planned right now. Okay. You know, project wise, I've got another. I've got a 2010 Land Cruiser that I want to build up one of these days. So I need to. It's sitting in Colorado Springs and has been for a few years. So I need to get that back here. And now that I've got all my other projects arguably finished up and built, I can bring that home and start working on it. So excellent. That's cool. Well, great. Um, Woody, I want to say thank you so much for spending the time this morning and, uh, and talking with us. And, you know, I really appreciate your friendship over the years and uh, everything that you've done for the sport. Well, thank you, Rachel. Appreciate it. Been a good talk this morning. Yeah, absolutely. So um, take care and um, I'll let you know when we're going to air this. Sounds great. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Bye. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating, share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram, and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.